Ricardo goes for it from a long way back. This would be sensational if he makes it. And you know what? He has made it. Smiles will be out at 18 years and 227 days old. Max Verstappen wins a Formula One Grand Prix. Lewis Hamilton wins the Portuguese Grand Prix. Hamilton has more wins than any other driver in Formula One history. And he is not done yet. Welcome back to Getting a Grip F1. My name is Brandon Moritz and I'm joined by Michael Turner and Nathan Mosley and we're back to cover the crazy Abu Dhabi GP, which was, oh man, like the, it all came down to the last lap, obviously, which we'll talk about, but I think, I think it was perfect, like the ending, it was the adrenaline we needed, but obviously a lot of controversy as well. Absolutely. And I think, you know what else is perfect, that I've got top billing above Nathan this week somehow. So I think that's a sign because I'm <laughs> rocking up to the show more often than Nate. So I'm sorry, mate. I'm, Do you uh, want to know the exact reason that was? I copy-pasted my intro from the other day <laughs> and you were the first one on there. I just wrote, and Nathan Rosley on it. <laughs> but, yeah, look, if it's anything like the, the race that we're about to talk about, Nathan will pit me right at the end for top billing. So the outro will be all about him. And, uh, yeah, my, my own personal Toto Wolf is waiting in the wings will be on the radio to you Brandon (laughs) I'll get ready for it and I'll make sure to be extremely blunt with him (laughs) it's called podcasting mate (laughs) we went podcasting yeah yeah. but look it it was crazy and I think that I can understand uh, I can understand why people were a little bit confused coming out of the race and why there's going to be so much coverage of it over the next probably few months if not longer, depending on how things go. So, I don't know, good race anyway. But we, we might as well get into a race summary and kind of run through what what happened through and then get into the discussion. But Hamilton, straight off the line, got an excellent start. He jumped for Stappen straight away. And it was it was insane to see the reaction speed difference. I'm not sure if, if Stappen had an issue at all. But he was significantly slower and... Hamilton was way ahead going to the first corner. So perfect start for Hamilton, not a very great start for Verstappen at all. For some reason, the Red Bulls seem to have been having problems with the um, clutch uh, releasing uh, or latching on at the start of the race for some reason the last couple of races, and that's where the poor starts have been happening. As long as, um, as well as... um, I could have only imagined how nervous Max would have been sitting in that car and that light goes out and going, oh, shit, <laughs> i got to go. You think he wasn't ready for it? <laughs> well, just, just in the park. Yeah. yeah, like just think back to when, like, I don't know, school, you're at school sports or something like that, you're doing 100-metre sprint or something and the gun goes off and you're all nervous. Oh, oh i got to go. Like, yeah, you know, it's kind of sort of. I can imagine it being like that. Even though you're a professional, doesn't mean you're not subject to those human emotions and uh, reaction times. And I think on that, you know, when we're talking about those reaction times, like we're not talking about seconds here. Like 
it is insane how quickly they react in general. Like I think I think the difference here was ten milliseconds, which sounds like nothing, but in the world of Formula One, that is a huge amount of time. And I think you know the clutch the clutch um, sort of issue that's come up. I think from what I've at least seen, it's 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 been around. The difference seems to have been around four to five milliseconds. So we're talking about doubling the gap um, that that already existed just because of those nerves. And I think. 100%, you know, you've got this race playing up. It's it's the, mo- the most in, in the lights Abu Dhabi end to a season you could ever get um, just by nature of the rhetoric that's gone around this whole season. So, you know, Lewis, by virtue of having done this seven times, knows how this works and probably went into it less nervous than Max. And Max probably would have at times, some would say, been shitting himself because I know I would have been. doesn't matter how much I've been in the situations where I've driven a car being up for a championship battle like that against one of the greatest of all time, which we know that Max respects, is going to be something that would completely take you off your normal game. So I think that is going to have played a huge part in that. But, you know, they are professionals and that's why he recovered somewhat and and didn't sort of, you know, have a race full of mistakes because that probably wouldn't have been as interesting. Yeah, and the thing is Hamilton also was coming off with a three-win streak. So he knew that he had a really good car going into Abu Dhabi. He knew that he had it dialed in really well. And to be honest, he was fast all weekend. Like, obviously, Max got pole. But I think Lewis knew that he had realistically the faster car on this track here in terms of race speed and, like, actual actual pace during the race. But, well, uh, Perez was able to slip up into third place, which is really good for Red Bull in terms of their strategy. That definitely comes back later. But then the real excitement started right off the bat heading into the turn nine hairpin. So Hamilton went really wide going into the corner. And uh, so, he, yeah, over to the right. And Max Verstappen obviously saw a spot there, stuck his nose in and and uh, stayed within the lines and everything. But Hamilton pulled out, went wide and just drove straight through the corner. And this is where it first got controversial because... There was obviously an advantage gained there. I personally don't think that the... I think what Max did was hard racing, and I think it it was racing. It was nothing like the previous moves we've seen where they've both gone off track. He pushed pushed straight through an open gap that was there, and he stayed within the tracks, and Hamilton just decided to back out, go straight across. And it, it turned out that the FIA or Michael Massey decided that there was no investigation necessary for it, and that Lewis had somehow given back the advantage that he had gained by cutting the corner, which I'm not entirely sure I agree with. No, I don't agree with that at all. Um, I totally agree with you with Max pushing hard in that corner. Lewis still could have been on the track if he just, you know, pulled his foot off the accelerator a little bit or tapped the brake a little bit harder. He could have been in those lines still a lot more, I believe. Um and we would have had a good race on it and Lewis would have gotten DRS and passed him anyway, I think, because that Mercedes was absolutely hammering that first sector of the of the track. And, yeah, I, he should have given that place back. How many times, like with Max in Jeddah, trying to give that place back because of the similar sort of scenario, like mm. what the hell's going on? And I think to that, I think to that point as well with the, with the, you know, I don't even think he would have had to have waited for DRS to open for him to have taken that place back because he probably would have got a better exit coming out of that chicane. Oh, was it a chicane? Yeah, coming out of it. Yeah. 
and he would have taken him on that next straight without a doubt. The mm. raw speed and the slipstream, he would have had him. And I think the the argument there about I'll even concede in the, the discretion that the stewards have with decisions like this that even if they want to argue that he shouldn't have had to he shouldn't have given the place back if they want to make that point you know the idea of giving back the advantage game the maximum advantage that he would have had sorry the maximum amount of space between him and Max at the time of the incident even Max was in front at the corner at the apex but even if they want to dial it back slightly before that only like half of a hundredth of a second in it, mm. if that. So you give back, give all that back at the end of that lap or re- rather at the end of that straight, Lewis had about a second ahead of Max Verstappen. So the advantage mm. definitely wasn't given back and I think lap, lap straight after that is 1.7 seconds in front. So there's no way the advantage was given back even if they want to make that decision um, to not swap the cars back around for whatever reason. Maybe it was because of the incident last week or whatever it might be. But Give the advantage back. You can't sit there and tell us, because we're not stupid, that the advantage was given back because he was nine to, to, to a second out at that, at, by the end of that straight. There's no way that advantage came back. Even a brand-new fan that had only been watching this season or even half a season could tell that, I don't know, what's going on here? He's cut the corner and he's made two, 300 metres because Max still had to turn the next corner to get in and around mm. and off. Yeah, and I think what this prompts, and I think one thing that we need to earmark specifically at stuff like this, and I think you guys would agree when you look throughout this season and seasons gone by, is decisions come back and forth for all drivers. You'll win some, you'll lose some. Some are unfair, some are not. And this is an example where Max was hard done by in this specific race, and I think that's important as we discuss the next points. I feel like if um, I feel like if it was the old Abu Dhabi track, um, Max would have been on top as well. I just wanted to throw that thought in while I'm thinking about it. <laughs> but um, <laughs> there should be some more. There should be some more gravel traps, as all the fans have been saying. Like that would have that would stop a lot of this corner cutting and and it would force sort of him stuff. into taking the next corner too. Yeah, he might have been a little bit wider, but he he would have had to actually go through the manoeuvre, which which is what the issue is here. Hamilton didn't go through any manoeuvre. He just cut straight through that corner. Yeah, exactly. And as everyone's saying, gravel trap, a grass patch, you know, like something that isn't tarmac to, like, enforce proper racing like we see on the old school tracks. Like we've seen seen it at Imola and we've seen it at um, uh, Portugal and all that sort of stuff. Um, Monza, with all these gravel traps, they actually have to race and stay within the lines. And I think it brings it to a to a good point, and I wanted to bring it up is that uh, these these new style tracks that have don't have gravel traps, just have runoff areas. They rely on the FIA's penalty system. Realistically, they rely on the FIA being able to monitor and penalise those things. But we've we have seen that it is, and we will see that the FIA is inconsistent in how it dishes out these penalties and dishes out these uh, decisions, and. I think the, the thing that I really thought about going into this turn nine incident with Hamilton, with Verstappen going in, in what would be considered a hard racing move back in the day, the first thing that went through my mind was, I wonder if he'll get a penalty for that. And I was like, that that is what F1 seems to have become. Everything seems to be decided through penalties and, and everyone has to be really careful with what they do. There's no 
there's not as much genuine racing within it. it. It's always like we look straight to the stewards as soon as something happens. And that changes the kind of the feel of Formula One for me in a way. That that's the first thing that runs through my head when Max realistically pulled off a really good move. I think a similar example of this is, um, you know, I know you guys don't support football, as in soccer football, but the introduction of the video referee that came in a couple of years ago, which has changed the way that football fans and football players react to big decisions. And largely, you know, you'll see that fans and players, I I mean, I myself saw this yesterday. I was at a football game for the Wanderers against Mariners and uh, Mariners had scored. There was a potential for it to be offside and I didn't react to it. My immediate thought was, are they reviewing that? Are they checking that upstairs? Has that gone to the video ref? And I think the way these situations need to be done, as you say, you know, we have the technology to have stewards be able to review incidents and same with football, we have the TV tech to be able to review these things in real time. But the rules need to be written in a way that and and the tracks and the situations need to be designed in a way that doesn't mean that that becomes the focal point of the race, that Mm. that doesn't become the defining factor of it. And I think there's a point here that, you know, the FIA's rules is based on driving, but the way the, the sport is designed and, and drawn up and, and the, the tracks that it's raced on isn't necessarily designed for that. And they're not designed to, to work within the rule set that we, that we have. And that needs to be fixed. And that's something we see not just about this race. And I think some people might point out, oh, we're just saying that because, you know, the stuff that happened at the end of this race, but it's not, you know, when we look at Spa, for example, we talked about that last week and those issues um, with the way the rules were interpreted to have that absolute bull two-lap race <laughs> under safety car conditions and a whole range of other rules, Bahrain earlier this year and such and the constant changing of the way that the FIA are going to react to corner cutting because ultimately they're changing it because they don't have an answer and they're changing it race to race because they haven't worked it out properly. So that's something that ultimately needs to change and perhaps the new FIA president will be part of that process. But this is something that affects the viewership of the sport and I'm sure not to the point where people aren't going to stop watching next year because of these decisions, but long-term it will piss people off ultimately and sort of go, this isn't racing anymore. You know, if Michael Massey wants to go, we went car racing, well then try and make the rules suit that properly and try to make sure that the tracks are designed in a way that it's not just about who has the highest and the biggest pockets to pay for access to F1 races, but design the tracks in a way that is, you know, efficient for car racing. Yeah, no, I, I completely agree. And obviously there are situations where there, are, there should be the penalties handed out, like if you put your uh, championship rival in the wall at 50 Gs or if you park your car on top of your championship rival, you know what I mean? There is There, there are reasons that penalties should be given out or that it should be looked into. But it just seems like every single race there is someone who's been pushed slightly wide and they get on the radio straight away and they're like, come on, need a penalty, do something like that. It's like, oh, come on, man. But anyway, <laughs> going uh, pushing forward. So Max really didn't have any answer to Hamilton after this incident. He His tyres, his soft tyres seemed to drop off pretty quickly. Maybe that was because they, they didn't do any testing on them at all throughout the final practices from memory. So uh, proper race testing in them. So they dropped off really quickly. He pitted for hards on lap. 14 and had obviously Hamilton pitted straight after lap 15 and that left Sergio Perez in the lead which I think we all thought would didn't really matter too much <laughs> then... yes Perez yes <laughs> finally did you see the, finally did you see, did you see the meme that was like introducing the uh next Mexican Minister for Defence. <laughs> so Hamilton caught up to, lap, uh, to Perez on lap 20 and overtook him in 
turn eight, but heading straight into turn nine, so suspected like that's the same straight. Perez just snuck straight back past him uh, in in what was an excellent move, and then Perez held up Hamilton again into turn one, and. Uh, this leads back to, I think this next part leads back to what we were just talking about. Hamilton got on the radio and was like, okay, that's some dangerous driving. That was not dangerous driving. That was racing. And that was absolutely racing. Incredible racing. And it was some of the best racing we've seen all year, I think. Yeah. Like, absolutely. We've seen it twice this season from Perez. We know what he can do. Like, he's an absolute animal when it, well, as uh, <laughs> um, Max's uh, engineer said to Max, like, yeah, he is an absolute animal. So, like, I'm a little bit scared of Perez, I think. <laughs> <laughs> but, like, their moves were just so, like, finesse and, like, they weren't chunky or, or like, swervy or Stunning. anything. It, he, it was just, like, I don't know, a dance, really. It was so well calculated. It was so... He, he he read it. He read the situation perfectly, and and he did his job as he needed to. And I think you know this speaks to the whole. You know, some people, especially those new to the sport, are curious about how the teammate dynamic sort of works. But that is the prime example of where the teammate factor plays into these strategies so well. You know, we talk about some people sort of like you know. Bottas is inconsistent and everything like that. The biggest thing for Bottas is that he doesn't play the teammate card well enough for Hamilton throughout a season. And I think you know, there's probably questions as to whether George would do it because he may be able to be competitive in the car anyway. But I think that is a big factor in why Bottas isn't the right fit for Mercedes because he doesn't play that as often as he needs to. And, and I think that is a huge factor where Bottas ended up throughout this race versus where Perez ended up as to why the end result ended up the way it was because effectively it was two against one, um, which also makes Hamilton's drive even more phenomenal. And I think that must be said as well. But mm-hmm. the Perez, Perez's fight there was enormous. The amount of seconds Max called back was huge. And Perez really did play his part and brought Max back into that race. So I think that was, that was fantastic. And as you say, fantastic for us as viewers because it was brilliant racing. And that's the thing, so that left Verstappen only two seconds behind his championship rival uh, after he'd really been struggling to catch up to him and he was on uh, obviously very similarly aged tyres at that point. So it, it kind of looked like it was going to bring bring things together a little bit, but it turned out that uh, Verstappen re- really couldn't, still couldn't catch up to Hamilton too much. Hamilton just had way too much pace on him. Uh, there was a verse, yeah. Oh, I, I, I was just <laughs> going to say, um, all the F1 um, pages I'm on on Instagram and Facebook, all they do is show the last lap with Hamilton and Verstappen. And yeah, I like seeing that, but I feel like give more credit to Perez. Show me the Perez race against Hamilton more. Like that was the best part of the race. If anyone mm. from the FIA and F1 pages are listening. Give us what we want. Change your highlights. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but, yeah, so it kind of all settled from there and then there was a virtual safety car under Giovinazzi. Uh, he had to retire. Did you say with a gearbox issue? Yeah. I think, yeah. It so, had to be. Yeah, that's it. And that was lap 35 and Mercedes decided because of, I guess, weighing up the, the dangers of pitting to leave Hamilton out and 
keep him on the hard tyres, push him through to the end of the race. So that'll come back. We'll talk about that in a minute. But kind of moved on a little bit to the the later stages of the race where the, the big event of it happened, which Latifi, he was battling Mick Schumacher going into uh, the last few laps of was lap 54 and ended up losing the rear end and slamming into a wall, which called out a safety car. And this meant that Verstappen was able to pit. Obviously, his tyres were shot at this point, so he was able to pit for softs. Uh, yeah, softs. And this was it. So it was originally decided when the pack was bunching up, there was five cars between Verstappen and Hamilton. And the FIA came out and said they would not be able to overtake at all. No one would be able to overtake. And that was effectively effectively the end of the championship, you know, with one of what was coming down to one lap to go, five cars between Hamilton and Verstappen. There was not a chance that they were, would be able to that he would be able to clear them in time. So, however, on the second last lap, the cars between Max and Lewis were told that they were able to overtake and just them, the, the remainder behind them were able to stay in position. And that meant that the championship battle would be decided on the track, not under safety car. And that, I think, that that's where the radio kind of exploded for all of them because obviously... Verstappen and Red Bull were very happy with that decision. Mercedes and Lewis were not. No, Marco. No, no. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I'm love. I'm loving the team to FIA um, radio calls. Going to be gone next year. <laughs> yeah, like they've got to limit it. They've got to limit it because they can. Even though it's only little remarks like that, and yes, Michael's his own brain and can make his own decisions, it will um, influence his decision in one way or another. And I think not even just the influence side of things, even if Michael isn't influenced, what it does is it's almost like a perceived conflict of interest in a way that they say something and if he makes a decision, regardless of the fact that he was already going to make said decision, it's going to be called into question as a result. You know, I don't doubt that... I, I choose to believe that Massey's decision not to allow the lap cars to overtake was because marshals were on track. That was pretty evident from the broadcast that they were. 100%. So that's fair enough. And that decision in its own right is fine. But should the broadcasting then of Christian Horner asking Michael Massey and then showing the direction to allow them to unlap, he may have already been intending to make that decision. Also, we know that these radios are delayed, so we don't know when that, that call was made in relation to the decision. So, it, you know, it, it made it seem like it was an immediate, okay, yes, we'll make him a lap. But it could have been a lap before that that call was made and the decision was ultimately made once the marshals had sort of cleared. So I think I think it's a, it's a bit of that. But also I think, um, and, and you mentioned there, Brandon, that um, they're, they're changing how the radios work between teams and the FIA and I believe that they'll still allow the engineers or the the one of the racing managers or team whatever managers the role is. I think team, team managers, managers yeah. are allowed to but team principals are not That's which a makes very sense good because decision, the, I think yeah the team principals are very and we, we can see the difference when you see Jonathan Wheatley on the radio versus what Christian Horner will say on the radio it's a very different approach Wheatley's very professional calm measured sometimes there's a dig sometimes there's a baited question but that's fine that's the game but when Horner's on there it's it's very emotionally driven and we saw the same with Toto and I think what makes it even worse not worse I shouldn't say the word worse but what makes it even more apparent is when you look at the the extended video of from that camera angle where it's showing Toto throughout that 
that lap and he's pacing through the garage. He's obviously emotionally hit by this decision. It's affected him. I think anyone would if you're the team principal of Mercedes. And he's just walking around and he's just almost losing his mind and, and, and sort of just radioing Michael Massey with just his outburst, stuff he would have probably just yelled to himself. He's, in this case, yelled to Massey. And while it's created a bit of entertainment, it's, it's not good for the overall. And I think we did see it earlier during the safety car when he went on the radio and said, Michael, no safety car. Please, no safety car during the virtual safety car incident with Giovinazzi. So I think that is another an, another thing where these team principals are sort of raising the question. They're probably not intentionally trying to influence the, the If you were to ask them, they probably didn't mean to try and influence them. It's more of maybe, I don't know, some level of trying to get reassurance for what is going to come ahead so they can make decisions. But what it does mean is that it does seem like they're trying to influence them, even if they're not trying to. So that is just not acceptable when it comes to these races. Sure, it might Netflix more interesting, but for the for the the overall efficacy of decision making from the for FIA, it's something that we that it's good that it's stopping. And I feel yeah. like um, Red Bull played the gambling game and they won because during the virtual safety car they stopped for new hards. Lewis mm-hmm. didn't. I mean, yeah, sure, um, sure, they might have lost track position, but Mercedes easily could have stopped in that virtual safety car and put hards on and caught up to Max again, easily, because it's a cheap pit stop, as they call it. And um, and then when this actual safety car came out and Lewis kept going and Max stopped for the softs, I feel like um, this call was going to be made no matter what because Massey didn't want the the last race of the season to be determined by the safety car, it would have been called whether either of them had been pitted or not. I feel like they would have been a one-lap race. And I was saying to I was saying to Michael before before you jumped on, Nathan, that I, I think that the championship was decided the moment that Latifi hit the wall, that, that Lewis Hamilton had lost it because he had not pitted during the virtual safety car. He hadn't pulled that trigger. Yeah, what, what we're talking about here is a communication issue between the FIA and the teams. So they, they probably should have made that, dis- instead of saying first, no, we're not going to let those slapped cars through, they should have probably made that decision maybe a little bit later but only made one decision instead of fl- flipping it because that's what mm. Mercedes is talking about. Although... I think Mercedes wanted it to finish under the safety car. Obviously, they did. They did not want Max Verstappen to <clears throat> um, to be able to catch up to them, and that's why Toto was on the phone you know, with the earlier one saying, no, don't pull out a safety car for this. And as and much think- as we can try and interpret that as, as the, there are ways that you can probably interpret that saying that he didn't mean to influence the race, but that is, that's why he said it. He did, not want to, he did not want to race Max Verstappen at that point on fresher tyres. Yeah, and can you imagine like what would have happened if we did finish the race on behind a safety car? Oh, I would lose interest. Like honestly, as an F one fan, and as much as I like it, far out. like yes, safety, 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 because we don't want any more horrible incidents in F one again. But like, yeah, that would not have been cool. And I think to that point, I think one of the biggest issues for, for me is that 
the yeah you're right the communication um the way the decision was made you know we all you know we both know that it's a high pressure situation for Massey as well and I think that that goes without saying it's a, it's a, it's not an easy gig because you know much like a referee of any sport you're sort of you're always going to be the much maligned figure no matter what the decision is made but I think what's salient is that throughout this whole season and I think especially since Spa, the team principals have been going on about how they don't want races finished under safety cars. They want to be finishing in green flag conditions. So, you know, Toto does shouldn't be claiming for his cake and to eat it too. But on the flip side of that, I think the most salient decision that could have been made here would have probably have been a red flag. Yep, I, I was that, about to say that. Yeah, just like Baku. Because um, it was, was in example. a spot where a red flag could have been. Like it, yeah. it really should have been a red flag in that sort of section of the track. There was debris all over the track. There's a car, there's marshals on track. Red flag it, you're in the final five laps. That's exactly what happened in Baku and we had that two-lap shootout for the for the victory. So I think that is a that is a mistake on Massey's part. Um, and I, th- I look at that along with the communication as being the core mistakes. I think, and it goes without saying, and I think everyone here is definitely of a grant, the decision was not made to give Max a victory. It was not, there's no, people throw the word corruption around very easily. And I think it's very, very counterintuitive to be throwing that because it's, there's no basis for that. The decision was made to finish it under a, under a green flag. Obviously, that benefited one of the participants, but I don't think Massey would have made a different decision if it was the other way around and Max, Max was ahead and Lewis was the one behind. I think the decision in this instance, taking the circumstances, would have been the exact same. He would have, tried to finish the race under green flags, not under a safety car. And Max had to try bloody hard. If you yeah. if you watch it back in that first two sectors, he like he had to dive real late. He had to swerve all over the road and everything. And all Lewis would have had to have done is actually pitted under the virtual safety car with newer hards. And it would have, would have been, been Yeah, there would have been a total different story. But... Um, yeah, as I said, Red Bull played their gambling card and they still had to, to do massive dives and defend hard. <laughs> yeah. To talk, to, talking a bit about the car racing as opposed to just the uh, decision-making decision making process, I think I was very worried um, watching the lead-up to the end of the safety car as they're heading towards the line that Max yep. would get penalised for trying to overtake Lewis just before. Oh, he! It looks like it looked so close. He and to be honest, he pro- he probably did pull ahead of him on a couple of occasions. Because mm. to be honest, M- Lewis was playing for that as well. He'd speed up, slow down, speed up, slow down to try and get Max to make a bad decision, and and um, it made it really interesting. I'll tell you what, it, I was on the edge of my seat for that lap, um, mm. not for any specific allegiances, but just because of how intense this ending was going to be. Mm. Well, that's the thing. I guess we'll run through it quickly, but. Straight after what you were talking about with the end of the safety car, so Lewis took off and got he like I mean to him he got a good start he he pulled ahead quite a bit and it really came down to going into turn five. That's where I don't think many people expected uh, Verstappen to kind of go for the lunge, but Hamilton left the door wide open there and Max lunged down the inside, completely clean overtake. It looked like Lewis was kind of going to dig in, maybe tap Max a little bit accidentally. But Max was able to pull through, but he went deep into turn six, meaning that Hamilton can try and push through 
you know, going up through turn eight and turn nine. And it got very close there. It almost looked like they were about to hit into that left-hander. But Max stuck his car perfectly on the inside of that track. I think knowing that Hamilton wouldn't have the grip going around the outside on those old hards. And it flowed straight through. And realistically, that that was it. Uh, Hamilton backed off after that, wasn't able to really stick it to uh, Verstappen going to those last few corners. And Verstappen came through as world champion of the world. Oh, I was worried watching him come around that last corner with that snap of oversteer. I was like, oh, there's the wall, Max. There's the wall. That would have been, that would have been insane if he spun I would have just been out, kicked everyone out. I would have been like, nah, that's it, get out. I would love to have seen that angle. If, he, if he'd spun out there and hit the wall, I would absolutely have loved to have seen a shot of the fans at that point. <laughs> It, w- it just would have been, I know it seems slightly cruel, but I just would have loved to have seen from pure joy to complete dismay. dismay. It's just something about me just would love to have seen that. Because it wasn't a little bit, it was not, well, it didn't look like a little bit of oversteer. It looked like a, nearly a full-on drift for a Formula One car. <laughs> like that's as sideways as you can get in a Formula One car. I think he did it on purpose. <laughs> I, I actually thought he may have done it on purpose to give him a bit of a show. <laughs> uh, not a chance that was on <laughs> Look, I think no matter what, like we can talk about the controversies of it and we can talk about uh, we can talk about the FIA's decision making in that. Max Verstappen 100% deserved this win and I think that you look at the statistics and I want to run through them quickly. 10 wins for Max. 18 podiums, 10 poles, six fastest laps, two DNFs, compared to Hamilton's eight wins, 15 podiums, five poles, six fastest laps, and one DNF. Both of them performed incredibly well this year. And I, but I think that Max Verstappen, he can, he, it wasn't because of the FIA he won this season. It was because of him driving an absolutely excellent race. And were it not for, you know, uh, being taken out in Great Britain by Lewis Hamilton or being taken out in Hungary by Valtteri Bottas' decision. or uh, Baku. Yeah, or that's what I was going to say then. Or DNFing after a tyre failure in Baku. He had no actual luck this season until this final grace. And, and I think anyone who's saying that this was decided by the FIA, I don't know, stop watching like i mean you obviously haven't <laughs> been watching all season so and i think to that point luck plays anyone who supports any sport knows that luck plays a huge part in the overall of the season you watch any of your afl teams nrl teams football teams you if you fine tune look through all those results luck exists in all of that no matter how much you try and take it out it exists it happens that that is what gives you titles and that is what can lose you titles and I think I think one thing we talked about this before um, Nathan joined but one thing that is is important to remember and I think people on Twitter specifically need to remember this because there are some absolute trash takes on that trash <laughs> of a platform I say that being someone who uses Twitter quite regularly but it is a trash platform at times well, there but, goes our Twitter sponsor <laughs> <laughs> but blaming um, Max Verstappen for for this and saying and, and, and taking out your anger sure you're a Lewis fan it probably hurts we get that but to take it out on Max personally or as a driver to say he didn't deserve it is ridiculous because 
you know, even Lewis will sit there and admit that Max deserved it throughout the season. Sure, I got hard done by in the last race, but that's racing. We'll move on to the next one. You'll notice he's not the one out there making comments, apart from he's probably highly emotional as soon as he crossed the line radio call, which you cannot read into one comment. As soon as he came out of the car and did his post-race, he was very magnanimous and said, well done, Max, you deserved it 100%. He could have come out and did what a lot of other Formula 1 drivers did and said it was absolute bull, this is this is rigged, you know, but he didn't because he knows what this is about. He's done it seven times. He knows luck plays a part in winning these titles. And um, I think that's, that's important to remember is you can hate the decision, you can hate Red Bull, but you can't take anything away from Max as a result of those things. Even if you don't like him as a driver, he deserved it. Ultimately, there's nothing that changes that. Yeah, and I've got a few comments for all of that all of that spiel, Michael. Um, one. <laughs> wait, wait, what did you say to piss him <laughs> off, Michael? Yeah. Are we, um, are we about to have an argument? I'm ready. No, no, I'm no, ready. no. One, one is I want to continue on for... Um, with the Red Bull Mercedes sort of stuff, is Red Bull seriously only used three engines in both of their cars this year. Um, Four. Four technically, but really three engines because two, one out of Checo's and one out of Max's got bombed because of uh, certain accidents. And then, I think they're still picking up the Great Britain one out of the barrier. <laughs> yeah, yeah. All right. Um, and... You know, they seriously only took a penalty each where Mercedes, Valtteri had, what, five, six different engines. Ham- Hamilton had four or five. Like, you got to admit, Red Bull and Honda's reliability this year and um, pure pace out of the engine for how long they had ran for was awesome. And that's why they, they were... Um, dominant for the drivers and look if Checo had been in the car a year before they probably should have gotten the constructors just because how good that car was um, with reliability and then also um, I want to go on back to what you were saying Michael about Hamilton love him hate him he's actually such a great sportsman uh, like got such great sportsmanship about him like, yes, he has a whinge on the radio during the race, but that's high-tensity, high emotions. Like, he's, he's just seems like an absolute genuine sportsmanship guy that you'd want in the sport. And that's the thing. He, he dominated this race up until that crash at the end. He was obviously the faster driver. He was obviously the better driver today or that day. And for him to be able to, you know, go up to Max Verstappen afterwards, shake his hand, his, his dad went, was one of the first people to congratulate Max Verstappen as well, which was great to see. Um, but, yeah, like being able to go up to Max and, and have that conversation with him or, you know, at least have some form of interaction with him must have taken a lot out of him because, to be honest, Max Verstappen is a lot younger of a driver and I think we saw last week that, he did doesn't doesn't have as much patience when he walked off the podium, and I'm not sure if it had been flipped if Max would have reacted the exact same way as Hamilton. But yeah, credit credit to Hamilton regardless. Yeah, I don't doubt Josh Verstappen probably would have reacted a bit differently to the end of that <laughs> compared to Anthony <laughs> Hamilton. So I think yeah, less said about Josh, the better. This isn't getting a grip fatherly edition, but um, yeah, I think I think a lot a lot of credit regardless of whose side needs to go to Lewis as you said, for his racing, but also the way he carries himself. He is 
such a role model of a person in terms of the way he does handle these things. And age probably does play a big part of this. He's been down this road before. I dare say if this happened to him in 2007, 8, it would have been, a, you know, he, he probably could have been a bit hot-headed and it would have been different. But that's the sport. That's how people work. Mm-hmm. You look at any sport, you know, Novak Djokovic was a bit of a bit of a twat when he started in tennis. But look at him now. He's, he's Well, he's a twat again, actually. But anyway, <laughs> that's something else. Um, but they, they change with experience. I think, you know, you could talk about how anyone in any job, you know, you go into it thinking you know everything and then you sort of start to realise that, no, it's a bit different the way the world is and, and your experiences shift you. And I think Lewis is a, is a shining light when it comes to that and I think you know credit needs to be given to him both on and off the track um but you know ultimately I think you know Max also carried himself really well in this race too uh, and I think throughout most of the season compared to a lot of young drivers you tend to get he did carry himself quite well with huge pressure on his shoulders and I think that's something that's important um to to sort of take into account is that he's been touted since since he came onto the circuit as the next you know, one of the greatest of all time potential candidates. And I think that is huge pressure to throw on the shoulders of a young driver. And he's lived, he's finally lived up to that expectation. And he's finally given Red Bull, I guess, a return on their investment, not to make it too commercial, but they've finally given him that and the fans and, of course, his family and himself. And I think, you know, credit for, to both drivers for that. Your anger, <laughs> the way you were sitting then, Nathan. <laughs> It looked like you were giving birth. But anyway, God. Oh, just trying to stretch my legs a bit here. But, oh. No, I completely... You were like Max with his cramp in the last lap. <laughs> um, but no, yeah, it, it is an extreme amount of pressure that Verstappen has been faced with. And every single press, press conference this year, since it was obvious that he was a genuine title contender... That, that was that's what he was asked. How are you dealing with the pressure? Are you feeling the pressure? Then Hamilton said, I think he's feeling the pressure of the championship before Verstappen went on to win three races in a row or something like that. Um, Just saying that gives you pressure. Oh, how's the pressure? Yeah. How's the pressure? You don't, you're not even thinking about that. Well, I know I wouldn't be thinking about that. I'd be thinking, all right, the next race, what's going on? But yeah, oh, how's the pressure? What pressure? Oh, shit. <laughs> kind of thing like yeah <laughs> but he did really well yeah that's it and I think it showed in the end and even that battle in the last lap would have taken a lot of restraint even though he lunged on like turn five which no one expected him to he had to keep it relatively tidy for the rest of the lap we saw that Hamilton nearly got him towards the end of it they, again heading into you know turn nine and it didn't they almost had contact too yeah they did yeah um, but Verstappen, he put his car exactly where he needed to, and I think that reflects on a lot of the season. Sure, he's raced hard. Like we were talking about before, to be honest, I feel like we need we need more hard racing, especially, or we have needed it, especially at the end of the turbo hybrid era where things kind of settled into this, into this same routine over and over again, and hard racing was almost looked down upon. Um, it, it was really exciting to see it in at least the last race. And I think um, I also want to throw out there, um, and I know I talk a lot about the fans' reaction to things, but maybe that's just because I sit on Twitter too much. But I think there's, like, the people who are out there blaming Latifi or some of the stories you've heard about people sending him death threats and abuse. That is unacceptable. That is unacceptable. As George Russell said after the race, and I hope he was talking about the Latifi incident and not the stewards' race, he tweeted, that is unacceptable. And that's how I feel about people throwing stuff at Latifi. It's certainly not his fault that he crashed. 
But it's he was definitely not... talking about the FIA. I know. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I was like, I was like, hang on, have I like missed something? Yeah. <laughs> I also want to point out that it's the most British tweet you can write is an all caps that is unacceptable with three exclamation marks. Very British. Um, but yeah, I think you know, saying these, all these things that have been sent towards the TV, he's certainly not his fault, and you know, he no has way. his faults as a driver, and he, you know, he hasn't necessarily perform best and he's a paid driver and people will take that out on him but to, to blame him for this incident and for the end result is just childish and, I mean, and he was that, racing he was racing yeah he yeah. got dirty tires he was in dirty air what a combination to not have a crash in yeah really like he went car racing yeah yeah we've seen it um multiple times when cars go off track pick up debris and old tire and sand and dirt and then go in behind another car there's always a crash so no way is it his fault um yeah exactly and i think that that that's happened during a lot of life sport or any sport where it's high um you know high intensity for the fans you know you see especially with the max verstappen lewis hamilton rivalry this year it was going to happen and it's really not acceptable either way but looking at the end of the race Regardless, it ended up, I didn't even, to be honest, at the end of the race, I didn't even realise Sainz was on the podium until he walked out. I think I was too, uh, <laughs> like, pumped full of adrenaline after it. But so the top, let's go through the top 10. So obviously Max Verstappen, he was the winner of the race with Hamilton in P2. And then it went Sainz Sonoda, which is, that's his best finish P4 of the of the season. Then Gasly, Bottas, Norris, Alonso, Ocon, Leclerc. So that means, number one, that Sainz outperformed Leclerc in his first season at Ferrari in total points. And it's a really strong finish for Yuki Snowder and Pierre Gasly as well. I wanted to point out that the uh, driver numbers for the top three are 33, 44, and 55, which makes me a little bit happy. And if only... Yuki was only, P1. <laughs> yeah, Yuki was P1. Uh, we would have been all good. But I know Perez P1, Yuki P2. That would have been fine. Giovinazzi would be locked to the back of the grid based on his numbering. (laughs) Terrible choice. He's going to have to change that up for uh, Formula E. How do we feel about Max changing to the number one? I think he was going to do it. It's like like what he was saying about... um, He he has now completed everything in F1 that he needs to, which I think is... Obviously, he's going to keep fighting, and I wouldn't be surprised if somewhere down the line whether it's next year or future, he will be a world champion again. I think he's got that pedigree in him now. Um, I think it makes sense for a young driver like that who's just won the world championship at his age to switch to number one. Sounds good. Why not? I think it, I know Lewis didn't do it, but I, I think it was relatively common before. I don't fully remember, but it was probably re- it was relatively common before. Well, I do it on my Xbox. So. <laughs> <laughs> I haven't won a World Drivers Championship on my Xbox yet because I always pick bad cars, but anyway. <laughs> oh, that's what it is. It's the car. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I'm stuck in Alphas. <laughs> but next year is going to be um, a bit of a different one. We don't know where any team's going to be, so it's going to be weird if Red Bull are kind of mid-pack with a number one mm. car driving around. <laughs> <laughs> oh, so you think he shouldn't have been confident in next year? Uh, but no, 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 it's good. Yeah. But, yeah, um, what am I going to do with me 33 cap now? Can't wear that around. 
<laughs> I don't know. I'm sure you can get something stitched on it, mate. <laughs> I was going to say, even even more uh, worrisome is the uh, speed limits around Zandvoort next uh, next Dutch Grand Prix. So, <laughs> well, they changed. Yeah, because they changed them all to 33, didn't they? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh God. But yeah, so I think another one he had a another bad uh, uh, result was not bad, but. Not great. Was Norris? Was this another situation where he had another slow puncture? Or was that last week? Yes. Oh, good question. Oh, I, I, I can't I remember. Was, Look, I either way, yeah, yeah. Either way, he he's had really bad luck with sort of slow punctured punctures. Sorry, guys, my work just called me. I'm back in one sec. Yes, but no, Lando Norris has had really bad luck um, this last half of the season. The first half of his season was absolute killer. Top fives, podiums, like going around everywhere. And then um, the chance to win at Sochi, um, and he didn't because he made that bad call, and then that seemed to be the end of his season. Yeah, he's been the talent of the season has been pretty inconsistent for him. I think again, I think it's that confidence being a young driver and and sort of having to build up the confidence and knowledge and 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 I guess the the racecraft. A lot of the stuff that people don't realise is not just turning the car; it's knowing how to drive, knowing when to make your move, knowing when to make decisions. A pure great example is, as you say, Sochi, where he needs to know when to make that decision or when to listen to his um, engineers. Um, and I think the engineers probably should have been a bit more forceful. But, again, that all plays into it, knowing your strengths and weaknesses on the track, and I think that does affect him. Obviously, ultimately, throughout the season, he's had a great season. Um, I think that goes without saying. He had a, he had a really good qualifying. Um, and I think he just needs to improve on that. I think that's the sign for for these young drivers is, you know, they've got um, – you know, they, they, they build up this experience and they learn on the track and it's about whether they can apply that learning same way with any sport really. So as long as he can kick on and do well, um, you know, he, he, next year could be different with Daniel Ricciardo potentially pushing him a little bit more and, and achieving a little bit better, we hope. Um, but that, that could sort of help him. Oh, we hope. We hope. Come on, Danny. Like I'm rooting ask. for him. I'm rooting for yeah. him, but far out, man. You make it hard. i, I got to ask you while uh, Brandon's off. About uh, the biggest award that was handed out over this weekend, which was the the coveted uh, most overtakes award by one of our venerable pensioners, Sebastian Vettel. What are your immediate thoughts of that uh, that prize? Then, Nathan, uh, the best out of the three got it. I can tell best you right, the, the best out of the three got it. Um, Did you ba- have you based I that agree. purely on age? <laughs> <laughs> uh, no comment. No comment. But um, I don't think uh, Alonso is ever going to get that world title again. It's good to see that he's shown that pensioners can get out there and do something other than sit on the couch and watch Home and Away and pack to the rafters. But, um, how to hit the local golf course? Uh, no, no, like it just shows, it just shows, it does just show like what experience, what experience does, um, in a car. And I I just want to. But also, just, just, sorry, sorry, sorry. But, just, no, um, but also, it just shows how far ahead Max Verstappen and Lewis Hamilton were ahead instead of being yeah. in the mid-pack and having to fight their way through. Well, like, I mean, that's been the case with Hamilton for, I don't think Hamilton's won the most overtakes award for a season in quite a while, unless I'm completely off on my statistics. But, yeah, like, I mean, 
I, I'm happy that it, I'm also happy it was Vettel. I'm not ageist, but I just like Vettel, <laughs> to be honest. And I don't I don't like Raikkonen. And Alonso, I, I'm I'm neutral. I think he's a he's a great driver, and he he probably could have won. I would have been happy. So no issues so, for me. Two things on that. Um, oh, no. I, I just I was thinking about it over the weekend about you know Alonso still staying on and he, I think he said he wanted to come to twenty twenty five which I hope he doesn't. But um, I think. Hey, I think all right, all right, join the party. Yeah, I yeah. Will, I will pre-frame that statement in the interest of the impending lawsuit. That um, I would like to see Oscar Piastri in that seat. Um, but I think that for me is interesting because I think Alonso may. If Alonso takes Piastri a bit under his wing, I think that could help him a lot in this. I know he's not going to be in the car and he's not going to be driving, but he'd be in and around doing the testing and he's going to be, you know, hopefully in some of the free practices because Alpine have done that a few times with Guang Yuzhou. Um, and, and I think, you know, it, it'll be a chance for Piastri to to learn from someone who is a world champion ultimately, albeit 10-odd years ago, but who was a world champion knows. And he's obviously shown the overtakes and everything like that. He's got that racecraft. He's got that knowledge and experience on the track. So I think that would be really good for Piastri. Oh, are you but ready also- for this? Here we go. Are you ready for this? Plot twist. Alonso stays, Esteban gets kicked. Ah, oh, you really stuffed that up. <laughs> <laughs> Look, I um the thing with Esteban, obviously he's a good driver. He's now an F one race winner, and he, he's performed fairly well over the season. But he's just he's kind of there. He reminds me a lot of like Giovinazzi. Like obviously they have a lot of skills and they're they're good drivers, but they're they're not exceptional standouts. And that's what you kind of have to be in F one. Obviously with Alonso, he is there for the development of the team more than he is for the driving of the car. That's what he said going, come on, can you not take phone calls during the DM thing? Okay, <laughs> <laughs> but you know what I mean? Like there's there's that uh, development aspect of Alonso there. He, he's there to build that team going into the next era of Formula One. So that's why they keep him there. Raikkonen, I'm not sure why he was there. I don't think he was sure why he was there. Um, <laughs> what did he said before this race was like, look, I'm just happy for it. I'm just... I'll be happy when it's over. It's like, jeez, man, there are so <laughs> many people coming up. But and the same with Giovinazzi. He he hasn't really performed. And even though the car's not great, even over the last few seasons, he, he's been consistent, but consistency doesn't win you world championships, doesn't win you points. And once he was kicked, like that's when he finally started showing his true or once he was like really getting told, look, mate, pull your finger out. Um, he started showing good qualifying, and then he'd qualify well, but couldn't do anything with it. Yeah. Like he just didn't have the racecraft or the consistency, as um, Brandon was just saying. Because um, he did get a few really good top ten um, uh, qualifying. Yeah. Um, but yeah. And I think um, on on the uh, good our friends over at Alfa Romeo. Um, you know, Kimi obviously retiring from from the sport this race. Well, this is the final race, um, and you know, a lot a lot gets made, and a lot of the clips that we see about him is is of course the the funny radio calls. I love him. I love those compilations. But obviously, it's salient to remember that in his day, he was a championship winner and he was a, an excellent race driver and he had ice in his veins and all that and I think you know especially for the new drivers who sort of maybe only watch the compilations of his uh his radio calls and how he needs the drink and you know Alfa Romeo gave him that little trophy and 
the one time he said he didn't see Pelé because he was having a shit. Um, stuff like that is so funny, and he's got an interesting personality, but he was a race winner and he was a, an absolutely beast driver in his day. And it, it's sad to see him go, but it, it is obvious that it's it's past his time and he, mm-hmm. he definitely, you know, he retired once already and he, and he came back and it def- definitely seemed like his heart wasn't in it. But obviously we, we, we lose a champion from the grid. Well, I think that uh, I think that Alfa Romeo were ready for him to put on a front wing for him and get him back out there in that race because when he pulled into the pit, they had a front ring ready. They started taking it off, and then I think he shut the engine off, which is like that is classic Kimmy yeah. to do. Um, uh, but you know, he, he was a very he was a very uh, what's the word I'm looking for um, unique driver in the way that he acted. I remember when he asked. But he asks Lewis Hamilton when he was on the podium when he was like, wait, did you win the championship today? It's like, come on, man. This is when he was with Ferrari. Um, and it's like, come on, man. Like, you, you should know who's winning and who's losing the championship going into it. But, yeah. Either way, it's sad to see him not at least finish his last race with Alpha. Same with Giovinazzi and Russell, all of them DNFing throughout the session. And then with Perez, well, did they DNF him purely because he was in the way of the staff? Well, it was a. Uh, did they say it was an oil pressure issue with his car? I. That's what was said. Yeah, I yep. didn't hear anything afterwards, and there's been no. I haven't been able to find any press on it or anything, so I have no idea. I'm in the dark mm. with it all. Yeah, well, either way, I they weren't going. He wasn't going to beat Bottas in terms of the drivers' championship anyway, and him finishing the race wouldn't have gotten them. The constructors' championship. So, you know, Bottas he, he did horrible there. though. This yeah, race. look, I was about to bring it up. He did not do well at all. Um, well, he ended up finishing P six. He pretty much did nothing. He lost places on the start, I think. And when you contrast that, contrast sorry that with Hamilton being able to absolutely pip Verstappen, disappointing to see. But that kind of summarizes most of this season for him. I think he's what he's won one race this year, hasn't he? Yes. Yeah. Oh, so, yeah. Yeah. So Turkey, he won, and he finished P two in was it Austria? So, and then the rest of them is it's just P threes, P fives, P twelves, and things like that. So, like, I mean, an impressive season for any other driver and any other team, but for a driver sitting next to Lewis Hamilton in the, you know, one of the best racing cars ever developed. Um, I think it's pretty disappointing for him. But I hope that next year Alfa Romeo is really competitive when he's a seven-time world champion straight away. So. And, and he <laughs> gave him, they, they gave him a really good send-off as well at Brackley, mm. which was really awesome to see. Obviously, he's been part of that team for a while and seems like a really good guy, loves his coffee, loves his fist bumps. Uh, there's an Aussie no, connection. Don't put them together. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah, that's right. Um, Aussie connection, his wife's uh, an Australian Olympian, so... Um, hmm. Yeah, so hopefully he does better with the Alpha and hopefully they treat him better because, you know, Alpha have had some interesting strategy calls throughout this year and I feel like Bottas is not going to enjoy that. <laughs> and that's it. I think a lot of the rest of the grid towards the end of the race, with the likes of Ricardo and things like that, um, had a little bit of a difficult time with that safety car restart and it kind of meant that a few of them couldn't move up as much. But, yeah, uh, Ricardo and... Norris both had relatively disappointing days and it really just left the door open for signs, even though Leclerc only finished 
P10 with signs finishing P3 with 15 points. It kind of secured that that for them. They would have had to be in a very bad day for Ferrari, I think, for McLaren to have yeah. made any progress on them. I think, and it has, would have had to have been a very, very good day for McLaren as well. Um, mm. Which yeah. I mean, could probably like P1 and P2. Nice. Yeah, quite literally. I <laughs> think the point would have had to have been a one-two <laughs> and a fastest lap. Um, I want to give a shout out to Kubica, who did not finish last. No, as well no. this season. <laughs> P20 in a yep. Um, out of twenty-one, oh, that, that's the funny thing. Sort of out of the better. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. It's the funny thing about that. Um, I always knew Kubica could really come out and do something well for the sport, so good on him. Uh, but here we but, go, boys. Three long months of no F1. Uh, well, Three long months testing, of overreacting I mean, to testing. Yeah, but until real racing and all that. But, yeah, February we're going to have cars displayed and all that, but three months until the first race in Bahrain. Well, there's no silly season like the start of 2020. No, and not really. Ferrari like it's like, already done. Yeah, that's it. Like when Ferrari got rid of Vettel and that set up the whole season for him. But um, yeah, 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 that was last season, wasn't it? Yeah. Yeah. But I'm just excited. We did see the testing with the mule cars and everything like that with the new tyres on them, which was really interesting to see. Um, and that's going to be really fun over the next few months to kind of see any developments and I just want to see the liveries, the new liveries for these because yeah. I think the cars will look insane. Or did you guys see that um, Ferrari mock-up that someone did? Mm-hmm. What the new car will look like? I think I've the seen the, the Red Bull one, which is just the exact same as any other Red yeah. Bull car. Yeah. <laughs> I just think it, the Ferrari one looks so sick. Um, obviously, mm-hmm. it's probably going to look so different to what the actual cars end up looking like, but it just looks so cool. got me so excited. Um, you, for, uh, you know what I'm interested in? I'm interested in to see what McLaren do with their LED wheel covers, like whether they're going to show yeah. on a, like a nighttime race, whether they'll show like the position of what the car's in or like lap times or something like that on them wheel covers. That would be sick. Hmm. I um, I think that Red Bull should do one of their no sugar can designs, <laughs> like that those silver white ones. Oh, yeah. I think that would look unreal. But no, we we all know what they're gonna look like. They're gonna look the exact same as they have since twenty bloody twelve or whatever before that. But no, either way, the one thing I did want to talk about too, which is an off track. Uh, internet is Toto and Hamilton not attending the gala after yeah. Abu Dhabi. And look, we've talked about it before that I think I think they were hung over. Being... Yeah, Toto definitely was. <laughs> <laughs> um, but like, what it comes down to is that they have interpreted, I think, incorrectly the race as being as being manipulated, and they're kind of getting back at the FIA for that and breaking the rules. Um, it'll be interesting to see what the FIA do. I think they had the they had a new guy coming in, didn't they? So I haven't read yes. up on it right now. And he said that he's going to be pretty hard on them if it's found that they have broken the rules, um, which I think that's what we need. Like, I mean, not not just on Hamilton and Toto, I mean, but we need a much more harder line going into the next few seasons with the FIA, much yeah, more I- conclusive in their decisions. And I think it was it was petty from from Toto and Lewis in a way, um, and I think you know if there was something um, wrong done, then that should be punished. But I think that's not 
that's not something that ends in just whether you attend the prize giving ceremony or not. I think there needs to be an overhaul of the rules that we talked about at the front of the show. There needs to be some sort of base overhaul of the rules where they remove this element of discretion. You know, the mm-hmm. title and, and the there, there should be the open doors for the title to potentially be um, deduced in court. You know, these rules are not laws. They're not um, regulations in terms of the way we drive. There's no interpretation as to intent or anything like that in those sort of rules. These things are, should be ironclad in a way. Um, you know, I understand there needs to be discretion for things like safety, but write that in properly to these rules. Don't allow it to be interpreted in such a way where one team goes, well, actually, it's this, and they've got a barrister on hand for some reason uh, mm-hmm. in in in, um, uh, in the UAE, um, and for the others to go, well, actually, we interpret it this way. It should be, it should have less interpretation from that perspective, and I think you know it's better for the sport if they can revise that and then shift that and change that for the next season. Yeah, yeah, definitely. And well, with with the announcement, like you're saying, of the FIA actually investigating what happened in Abu Dhabi, I think that that should be enough. And I think it was enough when Mercedes pulled out their um, disputes uh, about the ending. I think that the point my point is. Yeah. <laughs> You on your phone, mate? <laughs> the whole that time Michael was eight. speaking, you were looking down at your phone. Then, um, but uh, no. My my point is that I think now that the investigation is actually being undertaken by the FIA, that should be enough for Mercedes, and that's where it should be left. If they disagree with the findings of that, then maybe go further with it. But it, it just seems like bad sportsmanship. You know, you've had Verstappen, who, like we're talking about, has outperformed Hamilton. Regardless, this season, I think if he had lost uh, the championship, he still would have driven better most of the season because that's what happens. That's what happened, like we talked about last time, uh, Michael. That that's what happened. The best driver doesn't always win. Nico Rosberg was not the best driver when he won the championship, and yeah. Well, one more thing as well. Uh, I think that Michael Massey's radio message to Toto, even though I completely agreed with it. When he said that was racing Toto, we went racing was not the neutral did not have the neutrality that a referee should have. I think I think he should have been a little bit more diplomatic with it. Even though I hundred percent agree, it was racing. They went racing. They should have done it. Um, it was probably not for Michael Massey to come out and say that as much. I also think he was defending his his himself and his decision though, because and Toto been definitely back, was yeah. on his phone. Yeah. Oh, Jesus! We're gonna have to get the beep ready. Beep. beep. God. <laughs> but it was very necessary because he was. Mm. Yeah, and I think it's what all well probably most F one fans, unless you were going for Lewis Hamilton at that point, were, were looking for. We were looking for a race, and that's why the whole middle section of this was a little bit of a downer unless you're a Lewis Hamilton fan, because there was no racing really going on with any real consequence. And, yeah, that's what we got at the end. I think that's what we needed at the end, and hopefully next season we have a lot better racing. But seriously, like, yes, it was hard on Lewis. Max had the luck. But Mercedes, come on, eight in a row. Like, can't mm-hmm. be ecstatic about that. Like, they're not, they haven't really even emphasized that oh, they're it eight in a eight, row. Yeah, it's eight in a row. They're, they're not even um, like being aesthetic that, yeah, we're the first team in history to get eight in a row of Constructors' Championships. Like, what a feat. And they're concentrating on this 
one thing throughout the whole season. Like, yeah. Yeah. Oh, well. well, that's the thing. And, and that, that's what, when you go from elated to uh, to negative like that. And that's why it's so emotional. Like, we see these outbursts from Toto or Christian. Oh, the one thing I did want to talk about, I've listened to the last lap radio for Max Verstappen probably about 200 times at this point. The Like the pure joy in him and his team and the emotion that comes with that was great to see. Like just you put aside everything. Like even if it wasn't for an F one race, that 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 feeling I think translated through the radio to anyone who was listening, regardless of whether you're an F one uh, Hamilton fan or a Verstappen fan. I'm glad you mentioned the radio because I just remembered one of the key parts of the radio for me was pretty much as soon as he crossed the line, it's like Alex Albon snatched the microphone off. <laughs> he um, did, didn't he? <laughs> yeah, off Wheatley and just absolutely, he was the one that was like screaming, yeah. Oh, my like, Lord, I love Max. that so much. Like, yeah, that's right. Oh, my Lord, Max. Like, that was amazing. That was Albon. And I think, you know, I love that they've got that sort of mentality and they're obviously you know, friends in a way that they, they mm. obviously have that reaction for each other and they're obviously, he's obviously so happy for him. I think he jumped the fence. <laughs> I feel yeah, like he no, jumped I the fence. I think it was. <laughs> yeah, he jumped he across jumped the start the finish line. He was <laughs> <laughs> Grabbed the car, <laughs> rode back with him. <laughs> and that's the thing. We'll do a, uh, we'll try and do a season review of the next few weeks. But I'm, I'm really excited to see Alex Albon back in the back in a race car that probably doesn't have as much pressure as the Red Bulls did. And I hope that he's he changes his mentality a little bit. Uh, for uh, anyone who may have listened to previous episodes, like I was a very big fan of Alex Albon last season. I think he had potential to develop. I just think he wasn't given the opportunity at Red Bull. And hopefully we see that at Williams. Yeah, he definitely no. needed to stay in Toro Rosso. Um... Uh, Alpha Tower, sorry. Um, but for at least a season, not half a season. He literally come up from F2 for half a season and then got put into a big, big, into the big team. Even and Max then Verstappen. Off the yeah, and then Max Verstappen hadn't even had that. He was at least in, yeah, it was Toro Rosso back then for at least, what was it, his two seasons? And then he got picked up? Mm, and then he picked uh, Kvyat, didn't he? Yeah. Mm. So, like, yeah, I don't know. I don't know. That's in the history oh, well. books now. It was an incredible race anyway, and I'm glad that it finished the way that it did, even with the controversy, because the absolute adrenaline of watching, you know, the tightest race that uh, we've had to finish on the final lap, one of the final corners, was exactly what we want to see out of F1, and we haven't seen that in a very long time. mm Oh, yeah, well, thank you for joining us for this episode of Getting a Grip F1. Find us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter to keep on top of our latest content. But we'll be back sometime uh, later in the month after all our Christmas festivities uh, with a season review and a preview looking at next year when we have a bit more information. Yeah, Max! Woo! Ricardo goes for it from a long way back. This would be sensational if he makes it. And you know what? He has made it. Smiles will be out at 18 years and 227 days old. Max Verstappen wins a Formula One Grand Prix. Lewis Hamilton wins the Portuguese Grand Prix. Hamilton 
has more wins than any other driver in Formula One history. And he is not done yet.